Can you feel the buzz in the air, the excitement or even the anxiety? I can feel it coming. Oh, actually, that Phil Collins song, In the Air Tonight, is making news this week. He has become the latest artist to send a cease and desist letter to Donald Trump to stop using his music, and particularly that song, In the Air Tonight at his rallies. And I was at a Donald Trump rally last week, and we'll talk about it in a minute. And you're struck by the soundtrack, Jackie. So there's Mm. loads of Phil Collins. There's loads of Elton John. Rolling Stones. He has a big (laughs) British vibe going on. And then lots of YMCA and Macho Macho Man, the village people. It's quite the mix, I can tell you. But artist by artist, one by one, they start lashing in the cease and desist, saying, stop using my music at your rallies. He seems to ignore it. He seems to go on. But there's not going to be many more rallies for much longer, certainly in this election cycle. We're very much nearing the end. I know. And I'm adding Phil Collins to the list of things I never thought I would be putting into this podcast. Uh, But I don't know about you, but this is all people can talk about to me. Friends, family, etc. Everyone is so engaged in this election and are dying to know what is going to happen next. If anything comes out of it, maybe it will be a new Phil Collins album. Maybe we'll force him out of retirement and we'll all enjoy what's in the air tonight. The hurt doesn't show But the pain is to rose Some stranger to you and me From RTE News, this is States of Mind. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down. You won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. It's hard to get any word in with this clown. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. In 47 months, I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. Ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet your U.S. Election 2020 podcast with Brian O'Donovan in Washington and Jackie Fox in Dublin today. At noon on January 20th, he ceases to be president of the United States, even if he has chained himself to the resolute desk in the Oval Office. I'm a traditional business-oriented Republican. Those kind of policies that that pulled the world together, pulled out of World War II, worked with Europe, and built stability. And we've seemed to have upset a lot of that. Usually tens of millions of Americans head to the polls to cast their ballots for president on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November every four years. This year, it's going to be a record turnout. Not since 1908 have more than 65% of eligible US voters exercised their right to vote. And usually on that evening, the day the polls officially close, Americans settle down in front of their TV screens and watch the results come in from each state. And in the small hours, Irish time, a picture becomes clear as to who has won the race. But a health warning that this may not happen this time around because 2020 just loves to be different. 
damn you, 2020. Everything's been different this year. Yes, and this election is going to be very different as well. And it's already different because much of the voting is already underway through early voting, postal voting, and so many people voting differently this time around. It is changing completely how we're going to look at election night. More than half of the 2016 vote is already in. More than 70 million people have already mailed in their ballots or voted early in person. But this shift towards the different ways of voting is actually nothing new. Just to note that even before the pandemic, Americans were looking at alternative voting methods. If you look at 2016, 54.5% of ballots were cast in person on election day, according to the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. Of course, though, the number far exceeding this year due to the millions and millions of people opting to vote by mail because of the pandemic. But as we said, it's going to cause delays, problems and big question marks on election night. We already know and have discussed that the demand for voting early by mail could cause problems for the postal service. And due to the massive amount of people voting that way, there is extra pressure on the service to process and deliver the ballots on time. There is also pressure, though, on election workers. They have a lot to do with those mail-in ballots once they are received. Yep, because election workers, some of them have to manually open the envelopes, remove the ballots from the envelope, verify it as valid, and then feed it into a tabulating machine. And that all takes time. In 32 states, these workers start processing the ballots but not count them a week before election day. However, the counting may not be finished by the election due to that big amount, so that can cause big delays in announcing the results. And then you have swing states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, where processing can't start until Election Day itself. Also in 23 states plus the District of Columbia, mail ballots postmarked by Election Day can still be counted even if they arrive days later. That's another factor which may lengthen the counting process of ballots, especially in those battleground states. Yes, and if you look at the different dates, you have Pennsylvania and North Carolina. They'll keep it open until November 6th, Nevada until November 10th, and Ohio by November 13th. Why am I highlighting those dates? Because they are all crucial, critical, battleground, key swing states that will be vital for the candidates. So what does all of this mean? Totals on election night may not be the full picture as states continue to count postal ballots, but also wait for more to come in. We don't know how long this is going to take. It has never happened before. There could be a number of possible scenarios on election night. If either Donald Trump or Joe Biden gets a landslide victory, you have a clear winner and it's very hard to challenge that. There's another scenario, though, that everyone is looking out for, Brian. Yeah, so this would be a scenario whereby Joe Biden wins the election by a small margin, but then it could be disputed by Donald Trump, especially if he wins by a tiny margin in battleground states or heavy electoral college vote states. Look at it like this. Donald Trump has claimed that mail-in voting is more open to fraud. He says there's widespread fraud and inaccuracies. There's no clear evidence to back this up. But imagine the scenario. On election night, Donald Trump is leading in, let's say, Pennsylvania. But then things change over the following days because all the postal votes start flooding in and they go in Joe Biden's favor. You could see a scenario there where Donald Trump disputes this and says, no, 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 no. I won on election night. I'm the winner. I won Pennsylvania. I won the election. And Brian, you have been speaking to Donald Trump supporters about this recently to see if they are tuned in to a possible contesting of the election results. Absolutely, Jackie. I went to a Donald Trump rally 
in a town called Gastonia, North Carolina, which is about 30 minutes outside Charlotte. It was like going to a match or a rock festival or a concert All at a Ireland time when Day. none of these things All Ireland Day at a time when none of these things exist anymore. This town Gastonia out of the way, rural, and the rally itself was taking place in the small regional airport in the town, which was a bit outside the town. We had to get buses to drop us off, and we had to walk, and you're walking along, and there's vendors selling T-shirts and hats and scarves. There's a buzz. People are enthused. They're excited. As I say, this sort of big event festival match feel. Then you arrive into this arena. Well, in this case, it was done up to look like a You're giving me a lot of FOMO here, Brian, by the way. I'm just say. Remember, it is a Donald Trump rally. It's not, it's not an electric picnic here, Jackie. But yeah, nonetheless, it did have a big event festival vibe that maybe we're all craving right now because it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. The music's blaring out of the speakers, as I mentioned. You've got your Phil Collins, your YMCA. It's actually, it's not an electric picnic. It's like going back in time to the 1980s. But anyway, either way, you get the picture. This big vibe, this big atmosphere. Then Donald Trump takes to the stage. They erupt in cheering. Interestingly, though, I've watched a lot of Donald Trump rallies on the TV over the years and being there in person and watching him in person, I don't think, you know, I'd be looking for a refund if I'd paid for a ticket. He was a bit boring. He went on for an, yeah, he went on for an hour and 20 minutes. He wasn't his usual enthusiastic self. Bit rambly and actually, after an hour, I could see the crowd start to drift away a little bit. Remember in the match when you kind of knew the result was in and you wanted to get the car before Mm -hmm. the traffic jam? You sort of left early. I think people had their one-hour window. They listened to him for an hour. They got what they wanted, and then they started to drift away, and he wrapped up after about an hour and 20 minutes. But it was really interesting, Jackie, because we've seen this all the time with Donald Trump. He goes, and look at the media at the back, and he points to the media section where we are, and they're all fake news, and everybody turns around and goes, boo, boo, the media. And then there's a bit of it at the end as they leave. They go, boo, the media. And then I go up to them, and I say, can I do an interview with you? (laughs) Yeah, but then they go, oh, yeah, no problem. And they're perfectly nice and, and kind and friendly and well able to talk. So it was an interesting dynamic that they are booing us on one level, because that's what they're supposed to do, because the booer in chief up on the stage told them to do it but in actual fact they have no great issue with the media they certainly had no problem talking to me and yes we asked them lots of questions about what they thought about these threats from Donald Trump that he may not accept the election result Donald Trump has suggested he may not accept the election result and that there could be fraud are you concerned about those kind of things not concerned whatsoever and I live by faith through Jesus Christ and I know what's going to happen on November the 3rd Trump's going to get re-elected in a landslide I feel that I don't think that he would not accept the results. If I, I feel that, you know, the mail-in ballots definitely have the option of, of being fraudulent. So just got to see what happens in the end. But no, I don't think that he would refuse to leave the White House. Now, Donald Trump has said that he may not accept the election results and that there could be fraud. What would you say to those concerns? Go for it, brother. Take them down. They've been trying to take you down for three and a half years take him idiots down. It's all corruption on their side. So if he refused to leave, you'd be supporting him? Yeah. My God, Brian, he sounded very enthusiastic, didn't he? He did, Jackie. And actually, if you look at him, he looked like Santa Claus. Uh, go onto the RTE website and you'll see this guy. Big bushy white beard, big Donald Trump hat. So if Donald Trump met Christmas, this is what you would come up with. But yeah, fascinating to talk to these uh, to these guys in, in North Carolina. Absolutely. So before we go to our first guest on this podcast to see what happens if a result is contested. Here are the facts and the timeline of events. 
According to federal law, each state will have until December 8th this year to resolve any controversy or contest that may arise from election results. That really gives states more than a month after election day to settle any challenges to their results before they announce them. The Electoral College votes will be officially cast on December 14th then and those votes are supposed to be delivered by December 23rd to the Vice President this year, Mike Pence, in his capacity as President of the Senate. Then the President is officially elected in the new year. And the newly elected Congress will be sworn in on January 3rd, 2021. Then, three days later, it is formally supposed to open the electoral ballots and count them and declare a winner. That's when the president is officially elected. The date on which a new president is sworn in is enshrined in the US Constitution. Whichever one of them wins, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, they will be inaugurated on January 20th, 2021. That's the usual timeline. Let's ask someone who we all know very well about this to see if it's feasible in 2020. Hello? Bob! It works! Oh my god! (laughs) We've been waiting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. We were wondering, would you be on the way? I was about to send you a screenshot of which one to log into. You should be able no, to hear no, Brian no. as well, Bob, by the way. Hi, Bob. Thanks so much for joining Brian, us. Great to have you? you on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Countdown on. Final good. countdown now. We're nearly there, aren't we? Final countdown. And then we have many more days after that. <laughs> and then we've weeks of rowing. <laughs> Right, exactly. Bob, thanks a million for joining us, and it's great that you have this app. Well, Richard Downs had told me that you guys had such an app that made it sound like people that you were interviewing were right in the studio. Oh, it really does. Like, it's crystal clear now. It sounds sounds great. Well, lads, I think we're all good to go. Yeah, whenever you're ready, Brian, fire away. Great stuff. We're joined now on the line by Bob Schmuel, Professor Emeritus of American Studies at the University of Notre Dame and also author of a new book on U.S. presidents that I'm eager to get my hands on, The Glory and the Burden, The American Presidency from FDR to Trump. Professor Schmuel, Bob, let's start with the latter part of that book title, Mr. Trump. What is he going to do on election night? Could he contest the results, Bob? Could he find a way of saying, I'm not accepting this and I'm not leaving the White House? I think that he has already laid the groundwork to do just that. And he started, uh, really, quite frankly, many months ago. In July, he tweeted, must know election results on the night of the election, not days, months, or even years later, exclamation point. And I think what uh, probably we're going to see on election night, although it's always chancy to make a prediction like this, is that um, we will have the Republicans making a very strong showing and the results that all of us hear on radio or see on television would indicate that the Republicans are winning. Uh, And he will seize on that and say, look, uh, these ballots have been counted. It is clear I am the winner. winner," And um, forget 
that there might be millions of other ballots, uh, mail-in ballots, absentee ballots, uh, all of that, that still need to be counted. And if he feels as though he has an opening, my guess is that he will claim victory. And then for the days after, uh, after that, he will, he will charge that there has been fraud and manipulation of the votes. And political scientists, usually not a terribly creative bunch, but uh, came up with the title that what we might see is a red mirage on election night, meaning that the Republicans will be in the lead on election night. But then that will be superseded by the blue shift, and that means that uh, the Democratic votes would be coming in and might wash away the uh, advantage or lead that the Republicans might have. But let's look at that scenario. So you have the red mirage, Donald Trump declares victory, and then in the following days, the likes of a Pennsylvania flood in with millions of mail-in ballots, all for Joe Biden. The Pennsylvania courts have already ruled that that's fine. We're going to count for a few days afterwards. You have time, guys. It's absolutely fine. Donald Trump kicks up a stink. But surely that's the end of the story then, Bob. Everyone can turn around and say, whoa, 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 Mr. Trump. This is the deal. Lower courts have ruled on this. Please pack your bags and leave the White House. I mean, will he have a legal grounding to stand on? Can he take it to his friend Amy Coney Barrett in the Supreme Court if the lower courts have already said, no, 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 what's going on here is absolutely fine. We have no issue with this. My guess is that we will see uh, an incredible amount of litigation surrounding the voting. I think that uh, virtually every lawyer who has a license will be working for either the Republicans or the Democrats after Election Day. Uh, it is in Donald Trump's DNA to fight any challenge that he might receive. And in most cases, as we saw in, saw in his business past and as we have seen in his presidency, he loves to uh, file lawsuits and legal challenges of all kind. You mentioned Amy Coney Barrett, who was just um, sworn in as the ninth justice on the Supreme Court. He, ha he said, as he was making the appointment of her, that he wanted a ninth judge on the court when cases related to the election would come to it. Uh, to the lay ear, that certainly suggested that he wanted to see the person that he appointed vote in a way that would help the person making that appointment, which uh, has a bit of an aroma about it that uh, some people might not like. Uh, but I could well see a scenario where the, the presidency and the voting comes to the Supreme Court um, in a way similar to the Florida decision back in 2000 that came to the uh, Supreme Court. John Roberts, everyone says, does not want that to happen. 
but I think that uh, it's a possibility that all of us should be considering. Bob, does this all have to be wrapped up by December 8th? Because each state, it says under law, has to resolve any controversy or contest to their election result by that date. But can 2020 be any different? You are referring to what's called the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which said that there needed to be a, quote, safe harbor. Uh, And by that, they meant that the electors, or that the states really needed to have counted their votes and certified their their votes, resolved any disputes uh, by December the 8th, so that on December the 14th, the electors would meet uh, across the country and make uh, a decision and vote on who would be the uh, the next president. Um, I think that uh, as with everything that we're talking about, that there could be some legal challenges and we could see some fancy footwork on the, uh, the part of attorneys for both sides. Don't um, get me wrong. There are as many attorneys working on behalf of the Democrats as there are on behalf of the Republicans. It's just that the president has made such a, um, a case of his own uh, that he thinks the election is being rigged against him and that he will do whatever he can to fight that rigging uh, and uh, try to win in that fashion. A lot of people have been asking the question over the past couple of weeks, even months, can Donald Trump refuse to leave office if he still believes after all the litigation is over that the election is not free or fair? The answer to that is no. If a determination has been made in terms of the counting and the certification of the Electoral College vote, and if a majority of the Electoral College votes would go against Donald Trump, at noon on January 20th of 2021, he ceases to be President of the United States even if he has chained himself to the resolute desk in the Oval Office and is saying, I shall never uh, leave. Uh, Jackie, you mentioned the, the phrase a free and fair election, and I was struck, and in a way as somebody who has taught about American uh, electoral processes and American democracy for a long time, I was struck uh, by a poll that came out not long ago. Uh, here's, here's the question. Do you think this year's presidential election will be free and fair? The response is yes, 22%. Fewer than a quarter of wow. the people. No, 46%. Almost 50%. Not sure, 32%. To me, those are incredibly striking numbers. And it says um, 
really the extent to which the atmosphere and the climate of this particular presidential election um, has been uh, suffering from blows to the body politic, one could even say, um, that 20, just 22% think it's a free and fair election. Um, and then you take uh, 78% either no or not sure. That's not a ringing endorsement of American uh, democracy. Thanks thank so, much. so much. And all we'll right. all be watching closely on Tuesday night. Yes, yes we will. Hey, thank ahead. you both. Yeah. Take care. You thank too, you very Bob. much. Bye. Cheers, Bob. Thank bye, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, We've been talking about the uncertainty of election night in the days and maybe weeks that follow, but... There is one swing state that people should watch out for on election night because it will probably have results and is one that could give an indication of who could win election 2020. That state is Florida, probably known for its fair share of election controversy, though. Florida always a strong focus on an election night, always huge interest in it because it usually has razor thin margins for results. And it's a place that required multiple recounts during the midterms in 2018. And of course, most infamous of all, back in the 2000 presidential election, a very uncertain mess there that had to be settled in the Supreme Court. We'll all remember the hanging chads and all the controversy and all the mess that occurred there. And, you know, Florida's still a target and still being focused on recent media reports here about voters in Florida being targeted by deceptive emails that originated in Iran. But all of that aside, there may be some stability in Florida this year. And here's the reason. The difference with Florida is that the state processes the ballots as they receive them and release information about party affiliation of those who have voted. Compare that to Pennsylvania, where they cannot do that and have to wait until election day to start that process. Unless something mad happens or it is super close between the two men, we should have a result here on election night. There may be some clarity amid the uncertainty. And remember, Florida's a big prize. 29 electoral college votes up for grabs. That's why it's so important to candidates. And go back to our electoral college episode if you want a refresher on those states that are key when it comes to getting enough electoral college votes to get over the line. So far in Florida, 5 million mail-in and in-person votes have been cast. That's around 40% of the 40 million registered voters there. Yeah, Democrats currently have the lead in terms of the numbers of votes cast, but that was always expected. Expected when it comes to early voting. An interesting trend emerging in Florida, though, Jackie, and in some other states with early voting. The early in-person voting, quite a few Republicans coming out in force. It was this expectation that it would be all Democrats in the earlies. Democrat, 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 and then Republicans would vote in their traditional on-the-day way. Not so in some states. Lots of Republicans coming out early as well. What will that mean in the overall result? We just don't know yet. Some pollsters and analysts say that Donald Trump may get a boost on election day because you'll see there's a remainder of those Republicans coming out. And remember, Donald Trump has been telling us all all year that 
early mail-in ballots are fraud and they're problematic, so that would encourage his supporters to stick to the traditional ways and turn up on the day. But remember, Florida is incredibly close. We talk about all the time about the polls. Joe Biden way ahead nationally. Joe Biden ahead in this swing state. Joe Biden ahead in that swing state. Less so in Florida. He's ahead in Florida, but by much, much closer margins. Some polls recently have shown he's ahead by just 1.5 percentage points. That's nothing. That's within the margin of error. Florida very much in play. And this state is important because election results here may show some interesting voting trends. That's right. And Florida is key because it can give a good indication of what other states with similar demographics might do or states nearby in geographical area. Everybody will be watching Florida to see who wins. If Joe Biden loses Florida, it certainly doesn't mean he's lost the election, but it shows he may not do as well in other states like Georgia, North Carolina and some parts of the Midwest. Donald Trump won Florida by just over 112,000 votes and he has given Florida a huge amount of attention. He's down there campaigning constantly. His Mar-a-Lago resort is there. He's a registered voter there now. He moved his official residence from New York to Florida and he voted early in Florida just last week. It was a very secure vote, much more secure than when you send in a ballot, I can tell you that. Everything was perfect, very strict, right by the rules. When you send in your ballot, it could never be like that. It could never be secure like that. Uh, they've done a fantastic job over here. Great people inside. Who did you vote for today? Uh, I voted for a guy named Trump. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. It's an interesting state. It's quite divided. There's lots of conservatives in what they call the state's panhandle, retired military personnel, Latin Americans, a mixed bag of voters. And can Donald Trump keep those who voted for him back in 2016? That state's result will give a very good indication about where the rest of the country is going to go. Well, Republican Congressman in Florida, Francis Rooney, joins us now on States of Mind. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. There is always such a keen focus on Florida during presidential elections to do with its history and voting patterns. Have you any sense of how the vote is swinging there at the moment? It just seems so close. I I think everything is so uh, up in the air and agitated and, and highly partisan. That, that it's hard to say what's going to happen, but it's going to be close. I think that uh, there's going to be a lot more voters on both sides. And I think there's more voters now that won't say how they're truthfully how they're going to vote than ever because there's so much angst on all sides. No one wants to like lose friends or that kind of thing over it. There are elections taking place for Congress uh, too, but you're not seeking re-election this year. Does this free you up a little bit to talk more about the administration's legacy? How would you rate Donald Trump's time in office over the past four years? Well, first of all, I'm all freed up no matter what. I'm (laughs) I'm not really a politician. I always speak my mind even when I was running again. But uh, the the president has done a lot of good things, especially for business. Uh, Together with the Congress, the first two years I was there, we repealed a lot of anti-business things that President Obama put in place. That's why the stock market went up, made it better for employees and companies. He's done a lot of good things in raising the consciousness about China with the whole world. I think that's good. I don't think he's gotten anything out of his relationship with Kim Jong-il. And and I do worry about the whole Russia thing and the support of authoritarian rulers like in Hungary and Poland as well. And then on the COVID thing, I think it's been a disaster. I think we should have been on top of this thing in January. We should have had a national testing program, a national uh, uh, mask wearing and distancing program. And we could have 
made much less of a problem for ourselves had we done that. Although he's the Republican candidate, a lot of Republicans won't be backing Donald Trump this time around. What are your thoughts on him, Congressman? Will you be voting for Donald Trump? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, the boats, it's a secret situation here, and it's one of the few rights that we have left. But I do have concerns on all sides. You know, I know Joe Biden. He's a decent human being. But he's got this radical left tugging at him that, that just opens up the specter of a lot of socialist-oriented anti-business uh, uh, drives or policies that, that I'm not for. On the other hand, I, I do worry about some of the things President Trump's done, especially in the environmental area, where he's repealed a lot of important environmental protections, like the rules about methane emissions and mercury emissions and the uh, well control rules put in place after the British petroleum disaster in the Gulf. You mentioned at the top about people being divided, families being divided. We hear these stories all the time about how you can't bring up politics at the dinner table anymore because there'll be a row. There'll be the one siding with one side, someone else siding with another side. Is that what you're seeing on the ground? Quite a lot of division this time out? Absolutely are. You all have some experience with that situation with Northern Ireland. I mean, it's, it's, it's like I've heard people analogize to the United States Civil War where some family members are fighting on one side and some family members are fighting on the other. We've never had something quite like that since the Civil War. Is it something that the United States can overcome through this election or is it going to take more time? I'm going to be optimistic that it can be overcome, but it's going to take more time than one election. There's some structural issues that seem to plague us that we need to deal with. You know, uh, 30 years ago, less than 25 percent or less than 30 percent of congressional districts were so-called highly partisan. Now, almost 70 plus percent are considered highly partisan to the point that the election is really the primary. The general election is a foregone conclusion. And I don't think that's particularly healthy. Do you think Donald Trump has changed the Republican Party and how it works? Do you think the future of the Republican Party depends on the re-election of Donald Trump? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a traditional business-oriented Republican. Reagan, a couple of Bushes, those kind of policies that that pulled the world together, pulled out of World War II, worked with Europe, and built stability for a long time in many areas. And we've seemed to have upset a lot of that. The other thing is uh, uh, the the adherence and loyalty to Trump is in many ways seems to be personal, which is not our tradition. Our tradition is your loyalty is to ideas and principles and policies and laws. And, And I do worry about that just a little bit. I mean, I can tell you after hanging around with President Bush for eight years and serving his administration. Nobody gave him the unfettered adulation and 100 percent adherence that President Trump seems to elicit from his base. You are a congressman. I'm sure you're watching the polls. I'm sure you're listening to all your constituents on the ground and looking at what's going on nationally across the country. What does your gut tell you? Can Donald Trump do it, even though he is behind in all the opinion polls? Well, we really don't know who's behind. I mean, polls have become, I don't know how they are over in Ireland, but because of cell phones and things like that, they've become so erratic. Uh, a lot of people won't answer their phones. So I think you get you get driven to uh, responses from both polar extremes, which makes the polls kind of a yin and yang thing. Uh, I, I kind of have the feeling that with this turnout, that it favors President uh, Vice President Biden. Could you see a scenario where Donald Trump would refuse to accept the result, refuse to leave the White House? Uh, I can't imagine how that could happen in the United States. I mean, 
if any place stands for strong institutions in the world, it's the United States. But there's been some pretty bizarre words said about election fraud and integrity of elections and things like that that have sowed a lot of mistrust on both sides. Do you think the coronavirus pandemic was the tipping point for Trump supporters and Republican voters who voted for Trump in 2016, who may have been on the fence and then this happened and they said, no, this cannot continue for four years. Yes, I think there's a lot of voters that, first of all, there are a lot of people who just couldn't stand Hillary Clinton. That's not necessarily the case with Vice President Biden, who's a decent guy. The other thing is, you're right, there's a lot of people for whom COVID is the predominant issue a big threat to their livelihood and their health. And I think that um, especially seniors, there'll be some of them that are uh, affected by that and, and they may well vote differently than they would otherwise have. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on. Thanks so much, Congressman. We really appreciate it. All right. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye now. How are you fixed for the rest of the week, Brian? What's on the agenda? I think for the next few days, it's just going to be very, very closely watching the polls to see if there's any shifts. We spoke about Florida being in very close. One or two polls coming out in the last few days. Jackie showing that Pennsylvania, some polls showing a slight narrowing there. Look, Joe Biden's still out in front. Don't get me wrong. He's in front in virtually every poll. Slight narrowings, though, in the likes of your Floridas and your Pennsylvanias. We need to watch to see if that becomes a trend, to see if something that's going to happen. Pennsylvania, back in 2016, was one of those states that (gasps) Donald Trump won. Shock. We thought it was Hillary's. But actually, pollsters in Pennsylvania would tell you that the final polls in the final days in Pennsylvania did show that Hillary's lead was tiny. It was only down to 1% or 2%. So maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody is going to be watching for shifts in the polls. We're going to be watching as well, Jackie, for what they call the October surprises here in the U.S. And we've already had loads of them. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away at the end of September, so that sparked this big surprise. That was one, yes. Absolutely. We had the crazy debate that we've never seen anything like it before, with Donald Trump interrupting an aggression and everybody was going, Was that oh in God, October? I'm, it seems that like was this very early October. is so Oh, long. no! Wait. I beg your pardon. That could have been quite late September as well. I think you could be right. Then we went into early October when we had Donald Trump's COVID diagnosis and hospitalization. And you're like, oh, my God, what else can this period of time <laughs> throw at us? Um, I think from Donald Trump's perspective, he tried to bring up this Hunter Biden laptop, corrupt dealings in China and Russia and Ukraine. It hasn't caught on. It hasn't become yeah, it the October really surprise. No, it didn't become the October surprise he wanted it to become. But who's to say there won't be another October surprise or another shocker in the remaining few days? We just don't know. Yeah, we've got another couple of days to go. Uh, so don't forget, actually, that you can get in contact with us on the podcast, States of Mind at rte.ie. I think we're going to do a podcast on Monday, Brian, kind of do state of play, where we are in the polls, um, a little bit of looking forward to election day. So if you have any questions, please get in contact with us via that email, statesofmind at rte.ie, or just find one of us on Twitter and send us a tweet and we'll get it that way. Absolutely. So final podcast, final Final pre-election podcast. Final call, yeah. Final call, final pre-election podcast on Monday. And looking forward to it, Jackie. It's going to be a busy few days ahead and uh, exciting times to come. Hope you get some sleep. Chat to you soon. Mm -hmm.